Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. And we started this series last week, and uh, I didn't get a chance to finish the message because of time, and so we're going to finish up what we started last week. And so if you want to catch up, you can watch that online at our website. But I'm going to start in Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 7. But you have to notice verse 1 of Judges chapter 7, it says this, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Other translations say, again, Israel did evil in the Lord's sight. And it goes on to say this, that because of that, the Lord handed over the children of Israel into the hands of the Midians, and they were oppressed for seven years. And now the people begin to cry out, verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your uh, enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. Very important portion of scripture. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites and whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then an angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizir. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Drop down to verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Gideon went and tore down the altar that was set up to another god and the place of worship that was erected to another god. Then the people noticed it and they were upset and they began to search for who it was and they found out that it was Gideon. Verse 31. But Joash shouted to the mob that was coming after Gideon, that confronted him. Why are you defending Baal, the God which Gideon tore down? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. Soon afterwards, all the armies and the people of East formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Back to Gideon's question in verse 13. Where are all the miracles our ancestor told us about? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you, Lord God, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that today that, God, you would speak to us out of your word. And God, we would be able to somehow come to a conclusion of, of answering the question, where are 
all the miracles. God, where are the miracles that we read about in Scripture? Where are all the miracles that maybe some of us have experienced in the past? Where are those miracles? God, show us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 There was a doctor not too long ago, Dr. Bloomfield, and he was, uh, he was very good at healing those or, or helping those that had arthritis. He was just known for it. Because of that, time and time again, his, his office would be packed with people. One particular day, his, his waiting room was packed with people, and in shuffled an old lady, half bent over. And she shuffled in with her little, her little can you picture it? Shuffled in, half bent over with her little, her little cane, and she came walking in, and she found her place. When it came her time, they called her in, and there she goes. She shuffled across the room, and people were noticing her, bent over, and she shuffles in to the doctor's office. No more than five minutes go by, and she comes out, standing straight up, walking out like this. One lady noticed, and she runs over to the lady, and she's like, oh my word, it's a miracle. What? What did the doctor do for you? You walked in half bent over and now you're standing up straight. What did he do for you? The old lady just kind of turns and looks at her. He gave me a taller cane. <laughs> she had a little taller cane. Gave me a, gave me a, taller, a taller cane. Taller cane. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear that for some of the churches in the world that, that we have become just like that doctor. We can't really remedy the situation of somebody. We can't really fix the issue or the problem. We, we haven't even been calling on, on the God of all power and all glory to help people, but rather we've been just giving them a taller cane. We've been giving them another message. We've been giving them another great worship set. We've been, we've been giving them another great teaching. Listen to me today. Man, teaching is a part of the institution called church. Worship is a vital part of what we do at church. But ladies and gentlemen, if we do not go a step further and begin to tap into an all-powerful God and begin to bring those miracles back that Gideon heard about, then we are nothing more than just handing out taller canes to people. They might walk in one way and they might walk out a little more wrecked, but yet they still have the same issues, the same problem. I believe that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all power, the God of all glory wants us to live a life that is different than anybody else. And that is a life full of power and a life full of miracles. If you believe that, say amen. I believe that with all my heart. Because see, ladies and gentlemen, if, if we don't believe that, and I said this last week, if we don't believe there's something more, if we don't believe we can experience what we read about in the Bible, if we don't believe in the miraculous power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then we're nothing more than a Sunday morning social club. We can get together and we can just talk. We can, man, get here, I can wow you with another great message. Hopefully. We can have amazing worship like we did today. Man, we can get cooler lights, you know, for maybe for next year we'll get some LEDs rather than these old school lights, right? Now we can get bigger plasmas, okay? Or maybe there's something more. Where are all the miracles that we read about in the Bible where are they? I believe God wants us to experience them, and I believe God wants us to carry them to our culture, to our city, to our neighborhood. What, what is a miracle? Right here in this passage, the Hebrew word is pala, and it means wondrous, marvelous works. But notice what Gideon says. He doesn't just say, where are all the miracles, but he's literally referencing the miracles of the Lord. 
Where are all the miracles of God? In other words, where are all His wondrous, marvelous works? Dictionary.com, how many guys use that? Okay, how many guys still use the old school red dictionary off the shelf? Okay. How many guys don't even use dictionaries? Like, what's a dictionary again? Dictionary.com says this, miracles, an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Here at Urban Church, we don't ascribe it to a supernatural cause. We ascribe it to a supernatural God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've seen miracles happen in my own family. I've seen miracles happen in my, my own life. I told you some of them last week, but one of that came to mind this week was my daughter Faith. If you guys know Faith, she's the little six-year-old just full of energy, just a bundle of life, always hurting herself. <laughs> and when she was born, she was a miracle. Our first baby was born cesarean, and so the doctors recommended that Faith, our second one, be born cesarean as well. I was in there for both of them. I'm in there for Faith's, and and uh, the doctors, you know, do their thing. Um, but something was vastly different about this one. And it was taking longer, and they were having some complications. Now, with Kara, our firstborn, I knew that they would, you know, once they, they pull the baby out, they would just show it to mom, and they'd take her over to the table and, and clean the baby. This time, when our daughter Faith came out, they didn't show Faith to my wife or to me, but they quickly rushed her over to the table. And I looked at my wife. They had the sheet. Thank God for that sheet right there. So I was sitting up here by my wife's head, and I couldn't see anything else. Praise Jesus. So I'm sitting up here, but I looked at my wife, and she had this frantic look on her face because she remembered that with Carl. Wait a second. They showed me Carl. Why are they not showing me faith? And so she gave me one of those looks like, you better go figure out what's going on. Yeah, after you've been married for a while, you can kind of interpret each other's looks. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't have to say a word or the kick under the table. Come on, somebody. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> And so I saw the look she gave me, so I quickly walked over to the table where the doctor was, was working on faith, and now my daughter, um, you know, normally they come out a little bit of a different color, but my daughter's starting to look like a smurf, ladies and gentlemen. She is blue, and she's turning darker blue, and darker blue, and darker blue, and the doctor is doing everything she can to get faith to breathe. Faith is not breathing, and so now she looks to the other doctor who's standing by the emergency phones and make the call, get the emergency crew in here. And so they pick up the phone, and I'm thinking, no way, this is not happening. And, I mean, I was standing right there. I was a pastor at the time, and I don't think it would have mattered. I just, I just looked down at my daughter, and out loud I said, Faith, Deborah, you breathe right now in the name of Jesus. And no sooner did I get those words out of my mouth, where all of a sudden, <laughs> she sucked in her first breath. The doctor that was standing there just kind of looked at me, looked over at the other doctor and said, we, we don't need to make the call anymore. She's breathing. She was so perplexed. She just looked at me, but I didn't care at that moment. All I knew is that at that moment, my daughter needed a miracle. I have to ask you this question. Where do we turn? Where do we turn when doctors don't have the answers? Where do we turn when economy can't provide enough resources? Where do we turn when, when, when politicians and, and governing authorities can't seem to pass down any info? Where, where do you turn? Well, maybe we shouldn't wait that long, but I believe that people need to turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's Israel. And they're actually in a time of punishment because they, they begin to walk in sin. We talked about this last week. We, we talked about two things that, that, that we need to do, I believe, in order to see the miracles in our life once again, in order to see the power of God working in our life as Christ followers once again. Because obviously something took place in the life of Israel 
that deflected the miraculous power of God. It was no longer working in them. What was that? Well, we see it right in verse 1, then Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, that because of the lack of holiness in our life, the lack of regard for an almighty God, that we're not seeing the miraculous power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords flowing in us. Some things we need to do. Last week we tackled these two. two, two four things Gideon did. The first two we tackled, and you can watch it online, but number one is fear. Gideon had to overcome his fear. How do we see that in this passage? We see that Gideon was hiding himself in a wine press threshing wheat. He was using this wine press for an uncommon purpose. It was meant to thresh the, or to, to, to tread out the, the grapes to make wine. Wine represents joy. He's now hiding in that and beginning to thresh wheat. He's in fear. He's afraid of the Midianites. He's afraid of what might happen to him. He's hiding. He views himself, the Bible says, as the least of his clan, and his clan was the least of the tribes, and their tribe was the least of all the nation of Israel. In other words, he didn't have a high opinion of himself. He was in fear. But then the angel of the Lord comes along, and the very first words to him are this. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What was God doing? God was overcoming Gideon's fear with faith. And speaking to Gideon, not as Gideon saw himself, but as God saw him. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. What was God doing? God was bringing a word to Gideon to restore that faith inside of him so that he could overcome his fear. Fear is the antithesis of faith. It's the complete opposite of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith. We need to get back to that place of believing God and that all things are possible. The second thing we looked at, Gideon had to overcome his, his failure. Gideon was a part of the problem. He was a part of Israel, and Israel had sinned. So therefore, Gideon had to address some stuff in his life, and we see that in the context of Scripture here, where Gideon then made a personal altar before the Lord. And as he made that personal altar before the Lord, it became a place of repentance and a place of reflection and a place where he began to rebuild his life on the principles he had learned to this point. I want to address two more today and we'll conclude this portion of miracles. Two more things that we have to look at, I believe, if we want to see the miraculous power of God flowing in our life once again, is not just overcome our fear, not just deal with some failures in our own life, but we need to do this number three. False gods, we must tear down the other things in our life that we worship. False gods. If we want to see the miraculous power of God flowing in our life, we must tear down the other things in our life that we worship, okay? We could call them false gods. Now, I think most of us sitting here today, as we look at our life, we would never say that, that we have a shrine of God set up in our life, right? I don't think too many of you, if I walked into your house, that you would have little altars set up. Maybe you do. Most of you won't, okay? Or maybe you have like a little mantle above your fireplace. I doubt that you have several gods sitting there, okay? And that you pay homage to them on a daily basis, all right? But yet we do have things in our life that are taking away our worship from God and being put on that. What are some of those things? I think if we just take a moment and look at our life and think about our week, we could simply do, ask ourselves this question. 
Where do we spend most of our time? And where do we spend most of our money? Two ways we pay tribute to things. Time and money. And if we look back over the last seven days, now obviously this week, man, I'm sure we had time with friends and family. Come on, I'm sure most of you spent like six hours cooking a turkey, or the oven did, but you basted it every hour on the hour, unless you cooked it in a bag, <laughs> right, or had smoked turkey. How many of you guys did smoked turkey this year? Nobody? All right. I was going to be jealous for a minute. Okay. So obviously this week there's some things out of the ordinary, but as you look at the average week in your life and you look back over the last seven days, how do I know what's taking my worship? You just simply got to look back and say, what's taking my time and what's taking my finances? Now obviously if you're, you're a family person and you have a wife and you have a kids, man, you know, I, be, I believe it's very biblical that you spend time with your family and your kids. I believe it's biblical that you have a job and that you provide for your family. But when we come to the end of that work day, where is your time being spent? Before you start your work day, where is your time being spent? Not only that, how many hours are you working? I think for many people, money has become a god. They wouldn't necessarily have it sitting up and have it framed and, and bow down to it and, and come and sing worship songs to it. I love you, money. I worship you. Uh, uh, I love you, money. Always. Okay. I am a friend of money, right, okay, I doubt you're doing that, okay, although if you are, I'm going to catch that on video, put it on YouTube, okay, now I doubt you're doing those things, but ladies and gentlemen, for many people, money can become a God, and now they're working for more, and working for more, and working for more, and working for more, and spending less time in the Word, less time witnessing to people, less time in church, less time in ministry, less time doing all those things. Why? Because money's become a God. Okay. Now, I wouldn't have normally addressed this one because I thought, you know, maybe when I was a youth pastor, I would address this one. But I've realized something, that there's, there's, there's a lot of older gamers out there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay. It's amazing to me. And here's the other thing I realized. It's not just guys. It's girls, too. They're getting into it these days. You know? It's amazing to me how much time people will spend with a little controller in their hand playing video games. I, I talked to somebody not too long ago, and I asked them a question about something, and I was, they were just like, oh, I didn't have time. I, I was asking them this question. I said, hey, how are you doing with God? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Have you been reading your Bible? Well, not as much as I should. I just, I just haven't seemed to have the time. I was like, really? Yeah. How about prayer? Well, I could probably be praying a little more. I just don't seem to have the time. It's like, oh, really? I said, what did you do yesterday? Oh, let's see, I went to work. Oh, and then I came home. Well, what, what did you do? What time did you get off? Well, I got off at 3. Well, what did you do? Why? Well, actually, I do have time. <laughs> I played video games for several hours. It's crazy how my definition of several hours is different than some people's definition of several hours. Several hours to me is like two or three hours. Several hours to somebody else is like five or seven hours. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. We have got to get back to a place where, where we literally begin to tear down the things that, that, that are taking our worship from God and putting it somewhere else. Now back in Gideon's time, this was a real altar. This was a place of worship. This was something that was erected to Baal, and they would come and they'd pay homage to Baal. Once again, not too many of us are doing that, but what is taking your time? And here's the crazy thing, ladies and gentlemen, is we've got to tear down the false things in our life. 
It is amazing to me how many of us settle for the imitation rather than the real. We are so into imitation, it's, it's crazy. We are so into imitation. Now, this is how crazy it's gone. When I grew up, I grew up in a day where I would actually go to a basketball court with a basketball in my hand, and I would get some buddies with me, and we would play basketball. Now I don't have to do that. All I have to do is turn on my Wii, call my friends, tell them to turn on their Wii. <laughs> we connect via the Internet, and we pretend to play basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's how you hold the Wii remote and that's how you dribble the ball. This is how you shoot, B. Let go of B. There goes the ball. It's amazing to me how many people in this day and age that they don't go out, they would rather settle for the imitation. It's gotten so crazy that they got the new one, the Connect for the Xbox 360. Have you seen that? How many of you guys are drooling and you want that? Come on, be honest. There's some of you, there's the gamers. I thought, dude, I already have it, you know? Okay. It's so funny, though, when you watch these people. Like, if you did not know what they were doing and you walked by somebody's window in their house and you looked in, you would think someone was being murdered, right? I mean, they're swinging and chopping and running and, and doing all this stuff. This new one, man, it literally scans your whole body. And no matter what you do, you know, it does it on the screen, okay? It's crazy. This is how into the imitation we've become. We would rather have the fake than the real, we would rather stand around in our pajamas, come on somebody, in our living room, pretending to play basketball than to go out and really do it. Okay? We've become so accustomed to the fake. We've become so accustomed to that because the reality is, is it doesn't take much effort, it doesn't take much time, and it doesn't take much commitment. And the same has become true of us as Christ followers. I go to church, right? That's all I need to do. I have a Bible. I have seven of them. They're on the shelf. I have that. And we've settled for an imitation Christianity. When I read my Bible, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I am wowed at all the miraculous things God did in work. But yet I read that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which tells me, ladies and gentlemen, that we too can experience the miraculous power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our life right here and right now. But yet I believe the same thing is happening to today's society that happened in Gideon's time. And we're asking ourselves, where are all the miracles? Number three, we have got to tear down other things in our life that we worship. We've got to begin to get back to a place where God is the one that we're looking to. There's a reason why he references here. When the angel of the Lord appeared, verse 10, I told you, I am the Lord, your God. Man, they were not to have any other gods before him. Have we allowed other gods to come in to our life? Second Chronicles 16.9, I love this passage. It says that the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him so that he could show himself faithful. There's a part we have to do so that we can begin to see the miraculous power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Number four, we'll close here today. Man, he, he, he turned from fear, he went to faith, he, he dealt with his failure, and then he went, and the Bible says that he went at night and he tore down those false gods. We have got to tear down some things in our life. It's not just enough to repent of it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's too many people repenting of stuff and then not tearing down that thing that is causing their sin in the first place, causing their issues in the first place. Too many people, man, 
They repent for an adulterous affair, but then they don't stop seeing the person. Guess where they're going to end up again? Too many people. Man, they're, they're dealing with, with stuff in their life, but and they go and they repent, but they don't go and they tear that thing down. We got to go and we got to tear that stuff down in our life. Number four, lastly, fight. After all this, we must begin to fight for our society and our culture. First of all, our, our, our culture as a church. Because too oftentimes the culture out there has determined the culture of the church. The culture of the world has somehow crept in and began to determine the culture of the church when that is not the way God intended it. It's the same thing that happened right here to the children of Israel. They began to live and begin to adopt culture for Midian. As a church, have we adopted the culture of the world and allowed the world to set our standards? Allow the world to depict how we are. There are far too many people, I said this last week, that are, that are trying to walk in churches. Let me just say this way. There are far too many churches and leaders in churches that are trying to walk this line to how can we be culturally relevant? How can we walk this line so closely that we can, that we can get people into our church? You can't. You're to be set apart. You're to be holy as the Lord is holy, which means I'm completely different. I look nothing like that. I've heard reports of of, of some of the things that that churches are doing, and it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. Will it it get a crowd? Yeah. If we served free beer in the back, we would get a crowd. (laughs) You know? Okay? But you know what? We're, We're not called to do that. We're called to live set apart, holy as under the Lord. So that when man, the stuff in life begins to crumble and begins to fail, that, that they can look and say, wait a second, how come it's not crumbling and failing for them? There's something different about them. We got to begin to take this culture to that culture rather than that culture to this culture. We've got to begin to take miracles to people. As you read on in the story of Gideon, you see that Gideon not only tore down the Baal, not only tore down the place of worship in the Asher pool, but then he went from there. He began to gather an army around him, and they began to drive the Midianites out of their land. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, what were they doing? They were beginning to drive the culture that was contrary to the culture that God had set up. They began to drive that culture away from them. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we're as a place, as Christians, that we need to understand the culture of God. We need to understand the culture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and begin to live by that, but then begin to drive out a false culture that has bombarded itself upon the church, and we need to begin to push it out, and we need to get to shove it out, and this is what Gideon did. We need to begin to shove out complacency. We need to begin to shove out. Listen, it's not just about overcoming sin. It's about establishing a culture. Man, teaching is good. Worship is great but where are the miracles that we read about in the Bible this was the question the one and only question that Gideon proposed think about it for a minute here is Gideon in the middle of punishment like the rest of Israel being punished and the angel of the Lord appears to him in the middle of that punishment and his only question is where are all the miracles where is the power of God Where is the miraculous provision of God? Where is it at? Where is that at in our life? Now think about, this is how crazy that is. This is how crazy that is. Because I was thinking about it the other day. It would be as if my daughter messed up and she was going to get a spanking. We do spankings at our house. We believe that the rod of correction will drive foolishness far from the heart of a child. 
We actually use Mr. Spoon, it's not a rod, okay? <laughs> and it would be as if I had my daughter and I was in the middle of disciplining her for her behavior. And my wife walks in and says, Hello, mighty Kara! The Lord is with you! <laughs> Think about it for a minute. This is how ridiculous that is. And I'm in the middle of spanking her. Okay? And she looks up and she goes, Mom, if the Lord is with me, where are all the miracles? Because <laughs> I'd really like a miracle right now, like that spoon to vanish out of Dad's hand. <laughs> it's his only question. Where are all the miracles? Could it be that we need to drive out a culture that has bombarded the church, that has allowed us to become complacent, that has had, allowed us to become just, just settled with life rather than life abundant? We need to begin to drive that culture far out. I read in my Bible about people that were carried in on a mat to Jesus. And by the time Jesus got done with them, they were walking out carrying that mat. That, that's the God I read about in the Bible. Funny when you look at the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, when the Bible says that, 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 that throngs of people, crowds of people would come out to the wilderness... Y'all read the New Testament, right? You read some of that? And they would come to, to see Jesus? Notice what it says. They were bringing with them their sick, their hurting, their lame, their blind. Why? They were not coming to Jesus just for another good teaching. Did they get it? Absolutely. He was amazing. But they were coming to Jesus for a miraculous touch. It didn't say that throngs of people gathered in the wilderness bringing them their idiots so he could teach them. No, it says they were bringing them all those who were hurt, abandoned, so they could be touched by him. Why are people going to turn to Jesus? Why would people come to church? I believe it's time that we begin to see the miracles happen in our life again. I believe that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the miracles we see here are the miracles we're to bring to our culture, first here, then the culture there, and to begin to bring a transformation. This church, I believe that God has spoken to me so clearly, this church, urban church, not even two years old yet, man, great worship this morning. I love great worship. Amazing teaching today. Teaching is essential. We've got to have good, sound Bible doctrine. But I believe God has brought Urban Church to San Diego to bring the power of God, to allow the power of God to flow through us, to see the mirac miraculous power, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, flow into our city and into our culture. How is it going to happen? We've got to have faith to overcome fear. We've got to deal with our failure got to drive out those false gods that we've established when we've got to fight for our culture. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. Just bow your heads, close your eyes as I pray. Hallelujah. I believe that God's going to do miracles today. I believe that if you're here and you're believing for a miracle, that God is going to touch you. God is going to meet you where you're at. But if, you, if your miracle is not yet in motion, your miracle will be in motion.
Hallelujah. Just close your eyes. Lord, we thank you for today. As your eyes are closed, this is what I want you to do. I want you to examine yourself in two ways. One, do you need a miracle today? Last week, I had people raise their hands. There were about 20 hands that went up that said, man, I need a miracle. But at the end of the day, only three came up and allowed us to pray for them. You've got to give God something to work with. You've got to give God something to work with. And if you're in need of a miracle of any kind today, a miracle financially, a miracle in, in, in your relationships, in your marriage, a miracle touch in your body, or maybe you're here today and maybe it's not you that needs the miracle, maybe you know somebody that needs a miracle, that we can pray for you and believe that you're going to be that component that carries that miracle to that person. Which one are you today?